welcome back to Close Up With A Really magazine. I'm your host, Kaya. I'm Amelia. And today we're joined by Mireille Harper. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. We've been really excited for this one. Super excited. So, um, as I was saying to you earlier before we started recording, you do so much. So if you could just maybe let us know what a typical day looks like for you with work. That is an interesting question. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, sure. Um, So I guess, like, my main job is I'm an editor. So I work at Square Peg, which is an imprint within Penguin Random House. And I basically work on around 10 to 12 books a year. Um, we're a really small team there's only two of us so that's I guess the crux of what I do in a day and that can involve anything from like editing books talking to the author working on early marketing and publicity plans to like a lot of admin like it's it's just completely mixed Um, and then outside of being an editor I'm also a writer a sensitivity reader and sometimes PR as I was mentioning so uh, the kind of sensitivity reading means that basically publishers hire me to read manuscripts and to basically give them feedback on anything that might be contentious or offensive. So that's another bit of what I do. And then I'm also a writer. I've written for DK predominantly um, and I'm currently working on another history book with them. So that's like a day in the life is a mix <laughs> of all those things, like juggling them. Sometimes it's like manageable. Other times I'm like, why did I sign myself to, like self up to all this madness? Because yeah. It's a lot, but yeah, it's good fun. It really is a lot. And that's that really is such a small team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. It's me and Maxine, um, who I just hired in November. So she's pretty new also to the team. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a bit of a whirlwind. Like when I joined Square Peg, it was myself and one other woman. And then she left in lockdown and I was basically just like left <laughs> to run an imprint, <laughs> which is kind of mad, but also is really fun because it means that I get to publish all the books that I want to and mm. no one can really say anything. I can imagine. Just did you, yeah, did you always know that you wanted to work with books? In a, in a way, yeah. Um, I've always loved books. I've always loved reading. I was like that kid that would never, ever be seen like without a book. Um, so I think that books have always been like kind of like a part of what I thought I might go into. Um, but the way I kind of came into publishing was actually by by error, I would say, Um I studied languages at university and I actually wanted to be a fashion buyer and I did all these kind of like fashion buying exams and basically failed them because they're all like numerical um, and I'm really, really bad at maths. So I was like, oh God, okay, now I have to have like a different life plan. Um, And I ended up just doing like work experience at Penguin Random House Children's for two weeks. And this was at a time when there was basically just a website with like everybody's emails on it and you could just email them and be like, can I have two weeks like work experience? Because it was unpaid. Um, and yeah, I went in for two weeks and I was like, this is, this is it. I was just like, this is my life path. And then, yeah, just kind of like Aww. moved from there. <clears throat> I feel like um, I haven't massively heard of sensitivity readers before. Mm. Is that kind of a new thing? How, what's the kind of history with that? Yeah, I would say it's like somewhat, I guess, like a new creation, like more recent, I'd say, in the UK. Um, it's been around in the US for a bit longer, I think, Um And there's kind of like two prongs to it. The first is the sensitivity reader side. And then the second is the authenticity reader side. So essentially what a sensitivity reader does is they assess text. So whether that's scripts, manuscripts, um, whether they're kind of like in their first drafts or they're at final stage. And you basically look and pull out anything that might be like offensive based on your lived experience. So anything that could be perceived sensitively. So I guess like the most that I sensitivity reader, like narratives that are about mixed race people, specifically of Caribbean heritage, um, 
like general black British experiences, not like personal narratives, but like, for instance, with history books, like I would be happy to do a sensitivity read for like a general history book about black history in the UK. Um, And then there's the authenticity reader side, which is more kind of like um, reading from an author who might have written like a specific character. So if a white author has written a mixed race character, Mm. I'm checking it for authenticity to make sure like not only for sensitivity, but also to make sure like, are they writing this? But it's completely through like their gaze, which is kind of a given because they'll have bias. But it's like I might pull things out that might just not sound authentic. So I don't know if, if it's like a mixed race character and she's described as like having, I don't know, dead straight hair, for example. I might be like, oh, OK, does that fit? Would she maybe have like wavy hair? Would she maybe have some coils, etc.? Like, So mm-hmm. it's that idea of like using your own lived experience to adjust the text. So those are kind of like the two prongs, I guess. And it's something that's become, I guess, more used now in publishing. The first is because writers usually have a lot of bias. So they can often put in things that they think are acceptable just because it's their lived experience, but that actually might carry a bit of weight. So I noticed a lot of tropes around black women or mixed race women being written as being like wild or out of control. Um, And the kind of cultural connotations of that are really kind of rooted in something um, just a bit, yeah, offensive. So it's a thing of me also like pulling out those things. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting kind of, path and I think that there are a lot more people kind of getting into it because as we as we find writers like talking about kind of different experiences whether that's like religious or class or race or whatever it's like it's very imperative that they don't like misconstrue those experiences Mm. it's so good that it's one of those isn't it it's so good that it exists but maybe hopefully one day people will be a bit more aware of what they say yeah just to because obviously you mentioned that you're doing the PR for bad form at the moment for their new issue when we spoke mm. to Amy during the first episode, do you remember she said that really interesting thing where she said that she doesn't agree that black women's skin should be so readily compared to food? Mm. Like, in, you know, yeah. like, sweet, like, chocolate and mm. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and Pete, there was a backlash to it. Mm. So there's definitely, like, still a lot of learning to do. But I bet that's interesting work, especially when you find yourself mm. coming across the same sort of stereotypes again and again. Yeah, it is interesting. And it's, like, there's also, like a lot of nuances with the experience um, of doing sensitivity reading. So like one of my reads, um, I was basically commissioned by uh, Ian Fleming's publications, um, like basically at the estate um, to read over Live and Let Die. And like, it was talking a lot about kind of like uh, Haitian, uh, like traditions, values, etc. Um, but like, if you know Ian Fleming, you'll kind of know that he was like massively racist, massively misogynistic, um, so me doing a sensitivity read was like I could give as much feedback as I could, but like the whole thing was just like littered <laughs> and like it less trash. like if, if, yeah, literally. And I was like, if 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 we could like fix it, I was like, the only way to fix it is just not to like republish it, not to reprint it. And like it's kind of weird because it's actually published by Vintage, who Square Peg are like under, uh, but Vintage aren't publishing in Fleming anymore, probably because of that. But. Um, yeah, it was a it was a weird thing in that like for a lot of the things I was saying, they were like, well, actually, if we're to remove loads of them, we're actually sent like not even censoring, but like rewriting Ian Fleming, and it's like then there's the difficulty of like, are you kind of then masking up how horrific his views are and still selling his like his mm-hmm. wares, giving new readers the idea that he's like this really like 
I don't know, like really, uh, I would say woke, but I hate that word, but like <laughs> this really kind of like aware and sensitive man. Like he wasn't, he was a massive misogynist and a massive racist. So you have to kind of be careful of how much you misconstrue or like how much you actually remove because you can be taking away from like the, the kind of real version. Yeah, yeah. it's so interesting. It's so multifaceted, isn't it? Like I kind of, when you're talking about it, I was kind of thinking about the edward colston statue that got taken down and loads of people like you can't take it down because mm. you can't you can't censor it but it's a similar thing like i suppose you can still have the inflaming books out but you can understand mm. that that wasn't okay and, yeah. and the way he wrote was harmful yeah. mm. um in the same way that you could probably still have a statue in a in a museum and understand that that was very harmful <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah yeah, so true. So yeah. when you, obviously, so Square Peg's a small team and that means that you get to work with the books that you love, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of books do you find yourself being drawn to the most? <laughs> like, weirdly, just books by women. Like, I rarely take on books by men. I've taken on, like, one book um, by a man for 2022 and I'm just like, I just I'm, like pat myself on the back because it's the first, <laughs> just, like, the first interesting proposal by a man. I don't know what it is. Like, so... I, I don't know. I'd say like mainly uh, women's narratives. Um, I know that's really broad and that can encapsulate everything. But like, I like finding books that I think socially and culturally uh, will impact or affect or influence women's lives. So um, a lot of books that are talking about taboo subjects or kind of breaking stigmas or challenging social norms. I think that that's like that I would say is my bag um, and predominantly, yeah, in yeah in women's lives um but yeah it's a kind of mix like we take on cookery books we take on well-being we take on narrative non-fiction gift humor like there's such a large scope but it's just this idea of like when I'm looking for a book in any of those spaces I think has this been done before if the answer is yes then I kind of don't want it I always want something that's like really taking the conversation forward um and often that kind of like makes people feel uncomfortable I think that's like my bag is like books that kind of like yeah make you feel a bit uncomfortable I'd say what's what's your favorite Mm. most recent book in terms of what I've read recently I just read um the proof for Joe Hamia's three rooms which is published by Cape um and my friend Anna is the editor and she's just she's just great both both Joe and Anna are great but like essentially the book is about um a young woman like a young mixed race woman who goes back to Oxford um well, not even goes back to Oxford, goes to Oxford um, to do like a research assistant placement. So after she's done her BA and then she moves to London and basically lives on a sofa because she can't really afford London rent um, while she's being a copy editor at um, what is essentially Tatler because Joe Hamby worked at Tatler. Um, but she's kind of like reframed it in the book as like a high profile society magazine. And I just love it because I don't feel like there are many books that are about like the banality of being in your early 20s. Like, Mm. I don't know, we've got so much like Sally Rooney, Dolly Alderton. They all kind of have this idea of like excitement and like romance and like whirlwinds, which is really nice. That does happen in your early 20s. But like for me, a lot of my like university experience and also just like my early 20s has been like banal. It has been like renting, finding a job struggling with money like these are all very like real experiences for most millennials I would say um so that to me has just been like I don't know it's just brilliant and it's like it's very rare that you can also be addicted and hooked to a book that has like pretty much no plot pretty much no climax it's just dull but it's like really exciting dull (laughs) if that makes sense like I would just yeah it's just an incredible book 
yeah. I'll have to look up for that one. Yeah. I read, I think, it might have even been you, me, Ray, but I read a tweet bigging that mm. book up and I remember thinking it sounded really good. Um, mm. It's so interesting. I'm trying to write at the moment and on one hand I'm trying to write about, you know, it is a novel, it is fiction, but obviously I'm mixed race, so that's mm. just such a complicated state of being. Don't really think people talk about it enough, but they definitely seem to be starting to, which is good. Um, and also, yeah, yeah I... So much of my 20s has been, on one hand, boring because there was nothing to do, but also difficult because I was just so, mm-hmm. felt so lost. And I think you're right, it's good that we're um, including that because you do read a lot of books that other people have read about their 20s and you're like, have I done the, I've done it, I've done it wrong? <laughs> <laughs> have I done my 20s Literally. wrong? Literally. Like, I've not Literally, had 50 like... orgies yet. Like, how... <laughs> right? <laughs> when like... <laughs> waiting around for them <laughs> I can't wait exactly. to read it. that sounds so good that sounds so so good but um I got approved through for Natalie Morris's Mixed Other which is obviously non-fiction mm. um and there's so many so much of what she says I obviously can't quote because it's not out yet about being mixed race just like because I got so scared of talking about my mixed race experience and then a lot of people being like that doesn't reflect me mm. but finally <clears> there's <throat> something that I can turn to now that talks about you know maybe the fragmentation of it. It's just so good. Mm. I hope there's more. I hope mm. much more comes. I think there will be. Mm. Um, so, where are we? Okay. Yeah, so back to you a little bit more as an individual. Um, can mm. you tell us a bit more about your upcoming projects? I know you've mentioned them. Um, but yeah, in a bit more detail would be great. Yeah, of course. Um, so, I would say with, like, with work or, like, me personally? Like, so with Square like Peg or... No, no, so obviously you've got an essay um, coming out in the, mm-hmm. yeah, just your projects that you're working on with your, your individual work, writing work. Okay, cool. Yeah, so, yeah, the essay that you mentioned, um, I was, I think I was approached maybe like last June or July um, to contribute to the Feminist Book Society anthology, This Is How We Come Back Stronger, which essentially is like a lot of feminist writers um basically responding to the crises so at that point it was the Black Lives Matter movement but also like being in a pandemic like there were a lot of conversations around women in abusive relationships and how the pandemic has dramatically kind of affected their lives um and also just women's lives as of late especially with kind of all the comment commentary around women's safety um and the kind of nuances of which women are safe or which women are allowed to start a dialogue about women's safety um and yeah I mean I my essay was basically about passivity and interestingly it kind of feels very like very kind of timely now because at the time I was writing I felt like it was I was just kind of receiving a lot of dialogue predominantly from white women um around like just being like passive to a lot of things um so kind of like distancing themselves from blame distancing themselves from responsibility um and I think that now that's something that a lot of white women are now grappling with is this idea of like unless all women are safe then no one's safe so yeah it kind of feels timely that that's coming out and that's been a really kind of wonderful project to be a part of and I just think there are so many incredible people in it who I can't wait to read um and then kind of as a and as, as an aside from that I'm working with DK again who I've worked with for like two years they're really great um on a new history book this time as a contributor so it's um another black history book it's called the big black history book and it's centred to like slightly older children. So maybe kind of like 11 plus. And I've just been writing about different people um, in history 
So I will have more on that when it's officially <laughs> announced, but I can talk about it in here. It's not like something where they'll like be on my neck. I hope not anyway. Um, <laughs> and then I am hopefully working on more black history books with DK and just general history books and like highlighting historical figures, like predominantly Jamaican and Caribbean historical figures. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. How do you find, I don't know how to phrase this properly. How do you find writing as an adult for adults and then writing for children because I when mm. I read back on the things I read as a child it's such, such talent mm. it's like capture a child's imagination and inspire them mm. how do you find that the difference in process that's a really good question um I think I'm lucky in that whenever I've written for adults it's only been essays or opinion pieces so I feel like mm. it's a very easy experience of me feeling like I'm talking to a friend or like I'm just talking to somebody the way I talk to somebody on the street but like I think like writing fiction for adults or anything like that is like a really hard I don't know it's a really hard thing to kind of grapple with but then on the children's side I think I'm also just really lucky in that the team at DK give me a really kind of strong editorial brief around tone style what kind of words children won't recognize or children won't necessarily know um and I also just think of like in the nicest way like when I'm when I'm writing about history or like difficult especially like difficult experiences in history like how would I word this to my young cousin who maybe isn't ready to hear like that the world is a mess so it's like it's like yeah. kind of like approaching it the way I would a younger family member and being like oh okay I could talk about it in this way um and I think I'm lucky in that I have only written non-fiction I've never written um like anything fiction based so yeah I've been fortunate in that respect so interesting um and I'm mm. really interested in your work with my grateful can you talk a little bit about that yeah definitely so I I mean I'm such a my grateful stan I'm literally like <laughs> the best organization and also like just I feel like they're doing really great work and also just talking about how hostile this government and country is to people who are migrants asylum seekers um or just kind of like undocumented um in this country so yeah, um, I can kind of give you a bit of an overview to my grateful and what they do. Essentially, they're a charitable organisation who work with migrants, asylum seekers um, to basically empower them and train them up to become chefs of their own cookery classes, thus giving them experience and kind of just like a, like a kind of um, launch point to go and like find a job or to go and um like start up their own business like the idea is that they're empowering them because obviously this country does not empower them um mm -hmm. so yeah that's what they do and they also kind of talk about government legislation and policies that are discriminatory and how we can go about changing that um and yeah they're 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 great they have I, I don't even know how they host as many cookery classes as they do but they have chefs from like all over the world from angola to jamaica um to like Poland to Kosovo like they're, the the scope of chefs is brilliant and all of the cookery classes are just amazing um and yeah they've recently just secured like a huge amount from Sadiq Khan because we're in the process of basically starting up a cookery school so the cookery school is going to happen which is really exciting and we'll have like a really solid beautiful space to both be an office and to also be yeah a cookery space but I actually kind of came to them because I wanted to do their cookbook. Um, but cookbooks are notoriously hard to get made. So 
I don't know if it's going to happen with us. It might happen with another publisher. Um, but yeah, I just kind of didn't want to leave. And so I was like, can I just be involved in any capacity? And I've just ended up becoming a trustee as you do. So um, I'm one of a group of people who are yeah involved and get to see how the organisation is growing and progressing, which is really exciting. Just changing lives every yeah, avenue. You know, why not? So inspiring. <laughs> it really is. You gas me up too much, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. You honestly, you really do everything you do. It's just life changing. Yeah. Um you went viral recently <laughs> or semi recently through creating a graphic mm. on non optical allyship um during mm. the Black Lives Matter resurgence. Um can you tell us a bit about that, what happened and you know, did you expect it? Because it was everywhere. It really was. It was a bit mad. Um, yeah, like I act, like I think at the time I kind of created it out of like frustration and just generally feeling like I was like shouting into an echo chamber. So I was like, okay, I'm just gonna put it into something positive because I feel like when I'm like frustrated or like really upset at a situation, it can like very easily consume me. So I was I like I actually have to channel it into something positive. Um, so yeah, like I remember at the time I was talking to. Um, like my then manager because I, I used to like be involved with BYP which was like a black um, young professionals networking app I was talking to the founder and I was like I'm just gonna write this thing and she was just on the phone to me and I was just like I'm gonna write this and I'm gonna write this and she was like yeah that sounds good yeah that sounds good <laughs> and then I was like I'm just gonna put it on Twitter and then like hide because <laughs> like essentially I felt like it was like very centered towards a lot of like in the nicest way white women in publishing who were like oh this is so awful what can we do and I was just like oh I'm so fed up with this conversation um yeah so yeah, I kind of put it on there and then I don't know how, but it kind of spiraled and then it ended up spiraling on Instagram. And then I think I was getting a lot of requests from people who were like, can you please put this up on Instagram? So, uh, I think I did it like the next day and then, yeah, that kind of blew up quite a lot. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It was just a bit, it was a bit weird because I was just like with any of these things around like virality or around like attention, I'm always like, oh, they have like, they have an expiration date or if they don't, then you're kind of required to be like a constant spokesperson, neither of which I want to do. Like, I don't, I don't like, I just was like, neither of these experiences is good. Um, yeah. So I don't know, but I kind of tried to just like, like slightly step back afterwards. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of, I'm glad it did have impact and I'm glad it reached a lot of people. And I just, I don't know. I just like in my heart, I'm just like, I really hope that like people actually take this on and like channel it into their mm. own lives and not just like support it because they've seen like, ariana grande supported you know what i mean it's like you kind of just like hope that people will actually channel this into their own lives but i don't know oh uh, yeah i don't know what, what did it look like and what did it say for the people who don't know yeah um oh god that's actually a really good question because i try not to revisit it now i like barely, <laughs> i've like barely looked at it since it's gone out um essentially it was uh talking about i guess like performative allyship so the act of an ally is basically when you kind of say to somebody oh I'm here to support you or I'm here to use my privilege in society whether that's being cisgender whether that's being white or whether that's being kind of anything of a dominant group in a society I'm going to use my privilege to help you as somebody who faces oppression as a marginalized person in any of these spaces um and so I kind of like yeah orchestrated these 10 points around different things that people who do have privilege in society could do to help predominantly those who are white because what we were talking about was black lives and the fact that black lives were being brutalized at that time. Um, and yeah, I kind of, I literally was just on Canva and I was like, what is something that I can just write really clearly, really plainly. So it was just like pink 
black writing just like basic font um like it was just very easy I was just like let me just put it out um and I kind of went through a diff like different points in terms of um not centering yourself if you're the kind of dominant person um in the situation or just or like generally in the conversation um kind of like the the idea that you should kind of feel guilt you should feel shame but also like you should use those emotions to like carry on to do impactful change and just again this idea of like passivity like just kind of active steps you can take to support black black lives and black people um because yeah obviously the way our society is set up is that the dominant group will win because the dominant group own everything the dominant group have the most power and the most privilege so essentially the kind of those 10 steps were designed to basically inspire people who did have privilege or who do carry any privileges in society to kind of um, sacrifice a bit of it um, to, yeah, allow those who don't to prosper, basically. Mm. And it's so interesting, I think, that now, because of Instagram, like, everyone just loves a graphic, don't they? I mean, I spend all my time Mm -hmm. making them for a start, but they're so easy to share... And I think that people, it's an easy way for people to feel like they're doing something if they can share a graphic. Like you said, so you hope that people actually take it forward and have learned, which I hope too. But did you expect it to go so, so big? Did you expect that? Or was it a shock? I would say no, no, I I didn't. Like, I kind of just thought like people in publishing would listen to it and take it on and then that would be enough. And I would be like, that's great. I can work with that. Um, but no, I didn't expect it to go widely. And I kind of don't know what like the catalyst for it is, because I think with all of these things, like it's almost like a domino effect. It'll be like somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody that will kind of like pass it on. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a shock. And also like, uh, I was telling my friend, like my friend basically called me up on like the Saturday morning and was like, Mary, have you switched on your phone? And I was like, no. And she was like, okay, I think you should switch on your phone because I have a Huawei. <laughs> so like this phone cannot deal with like updates. Like even like <laughs> 10 notifications will like fuck up the, the whole thing. Um, so, so yeah, like I remember I just switched on and I was like, I'm going to leave this phone for two hours because there is nothing I can do. Like there is nothing I could, it was just like, it was just frozen. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It was a, it was a bit of a shock, but more than anything, I think I was more kind of like in a state of discomfort. Cause I was just like, I really hope that like weirdos don't come and send for me or like, I don't know. Cause you just don't know again, this topic of like safety. I just, I feel like a lot of people online um, are very brave to say certain things and just like, you just want to kind of look after your online safety as well. So I was just like, Ugh. Um, but fortunately I actually didn't really, receive any kind of like animosity or if I did like there were too many messages for me to see so I wasn't like I wasn't able to see um but yeah I don't know yeah it was it was a bit of a shock and I think just a bit of like I don't know it's that thing of like when you're trying to like work yourself through trauma but you're also being bombarded that is quite a lot to be like how do I make really good healthy decisions for myself and also like my community right now not to say that like that should have been my mindset, but I was just like, I want to make sure that everything I do now is like very sensibly approached and kind of done with my value system because yeah, there was just, yeah, I just feel like there was a lot of madness um, and just like brands and corporations kind of wanting to like capitalize on a moment, which was, yeah, a bit weird. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I find mm. it kind of like, I don't know. 
if that was me, I'd find that so stressful. And I always look to people like Munro Bergdorf, for example, and I'm like, you're mm-hmm. such a selfless person, like putting yourself out there, getting those messages across, yeah. but receiving hate upon hate upon hate for like trying to do a good thing. Mm. And it's just, mm-hmm. yeah, so brave, isn't it? But Especially, obviously... Sorry, go on. There you go, you go. I was just going to say, especially whilst you're also trying to grieve something so traumatic in your own mm. time, in your own space as well, whilst, you know, trying at least to educate other people. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. you know, because it, it travelled so far and wide, it's amazing to think, like, how much of an impact that would have had, like, even if it's just a small impact for some mm. people or a massive one for other people, like, that's amazing, like, you did that. Mm. Yeah. You did yeah. that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you guys are like giving me all the compliments today. I'm not. I'm not very good at receiving it, but I like. I hear it. I hear it. So thank you. No, thank you. Um, yeah. So, is it time? I think it's time for the random questions, right? I hope you're ready. Oh, okay. I'm really. Excited I am ready. About this. Bring it. Okay, so I'm gonna. I'm gonna spin. Also, gonna Kaya, spin. have you had your nails done? Because those nails look really nice. Thank you. Oh, um, they're just stick on. Obviously, so nice. Oh, I need my nails done so bad. Yeah, little, little stick on numbers because I, I feel I, it's just so I'm deeply entrenched with capitalism and stuff. <laughs> but I feel so. <laughs> I, you did receive those from Jeff. <laughs> that was from Jeff and Amazon. But I hate, I hate the way my hands look when they, when I'm not wearing nails. I feel like they're stumps. Do you know what? If yeah, if that makes you feel good, go for I'm it. an anxious person, so if I don't have nails on, I bite my nails. Yeah, I, I do. I hate, I hate it. Yeah, I am the same. I'm like a chronic nail biter. Thanks, I have like no, such bad hands. Yeah, me too. But th- th- that's th- all right. Th- I'm just ready for the 12th of April when I can just <laughs> oh go and be like, oh my god, acrylic. Be a different person. Well, starting at eyelashes, and going I'm going all the way down. I'm getting the time, and I'm so excited. I'm Are excited. you? Oh, I'm really like, excited for you. I can't wait. And I'm going to get some wigs. I'm going to do it. I'm going to blow it out. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Tell me how it goes. I've never had a weave. I feel like I'm like, I'm too scared because my mum once had a weave and all her hair fell out. And so I have that as like the horror story. No, it's not standard. That's not standard though. But like, because of that, I have like a constant chronic fear that my hair's all going to fall out. Even though I'm like, it's fine. It would just go back. But let me know how it goes. Maybe you'll inspire me. <laughs> Hopefully, I hope I don't have it. Yeah, I'll come back to you. No hair. Oh my god. My mum, I mean, not cosmetic, but my mum got the the contraceptive implant Mm. in her arm. So what you can say? No, 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 it was was awful. It was really bad. So she was trying to get an appointment to get it taken out and she couldn't get one for ages. And then her muscles in her arm grew around it. So they had to like cut her arm open. There was a nurse like knelt on top of her, like yanking the So um, because of that, I've never been able to go near it myself. But it's, it's yeah. when your mum tells you something bad happens, yeah, you're like, right, no, okay, no. mummy, I'm not I'm going to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Exactly. It's like the jeans feel too close. <laughs> it happened. Right, okay, so we've got number 80, which is a really nice question, which is what makes you hopeful? Oh, that is a good question. I think I've been asked this before. Oh, Who's asked? Someone's asked me this before. <laughs> I don't know, like... I'm a massive cynic, right? Like, like a massive cyn- cynic and I'm massively pessimistic about the world because I feel like there is only so much change you can do within, like, a really corrupt system. Mm. So it is hard generally <laughs> for me to have, like, hope, if that makes sense, because I feel like my hope is only, like, so much. But I just... Maybe this is, like... My, I guess, like, I have... Maybe it's, like, two prongs. So, like, realistically, I think my hope is just that, like, people are waking up to 
the system we're living in and kind of are sticking up for themselves and I don't know I'm speaking up about issues more so I don't know I think I'm hopeful that because there is this it will kind of just spiral and grow um and then like my unrealistic hope is that I just kind of like hope that maybe this would affect this would affect all of us but I just hope that all the systems that we live in basically are abolished one day and that's like that's like a very very unrealistic hope because I'm just like unattainable unachievable um but yeah that's like my yeah I've got two sides so both of those it's incredibly hard to be hopeful right now yeah I mean no I feel like there Mm. are some things that are going on like little things it's like little things but then they're all spurred on by like incredibly traumatic awful events so they're always exactly the good thing is always preceded by a terrible thing yeah um but I do think in the last year we've definitely encountered like a lot more progress. I hope. Mm. I hope so. And yeah, and on a creative on a creative level as well. Like me and you were saying the other day, there's loads. Seems to be loads of schemes for people at the moment mm. to like you know either get into publishing mm. or writing or filming or anything. There seems to be funds there and bursaries and courses, and they obviously have all come at the same time because mm. of COVID. Mm. So it's what you said about it coming on the back of something awful, but. It's a good time right now, I think, to be trying at least to be creative because there does seem to be things mm. there. It does make me hopeful because there was nothing. Well, there didn't seem to be anything. There was nothing. It's really was strange. And like now, like, because I work in TV as well, and there's so many mm. schemes for people of colour. Mm. Um, and on Channel 4, I've got a scheme coming up specifically for black people. Sounds so good as well. Um, mm. my My cynical self says it's tokenism and it, it's gonna happen it's gonna it's gonna yeah. be a wave and then it's gonna be back to normal mm-hmm. but um i think we can still take away the fact that you know there's gonna be more opportunities even in the short term for for marginalized people which is great mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i think that's all we can ask for <laughs> at, at the minute yeah yeah exactly the point on tokenism like obviously so you made that graphic during um the black lives matter protests over the summer following from um george floyd's murder um mm. and do you know really got like it makes me angry to talk about now which is interesting because the question above what makes you hopeful is what makes you angry so i might, I might as well just swing straight into that <laughs> um oh let's is, approach it like, i love let's it. Have it is that so many people were like right okay this is a genuinely awful thing that's going on how can we live in this world how can this happen and like magazines because that's the world i'm in publishing so mm. many black people especially but people of color to write about usually their trauma mm. but but about the black lives matter movement and how it affects them mm-hmm. and what we can do to change and then as soon as everyone stopped talking about it they went back to pretending like it's normal, not happening or, or normal yeah, broadcasting 100% 100% boils my blood don't mm. pretend to care i'd rather you just be open and honest about the fact that you don't care like what does wagamama mm. do for for LGBT plus people mm. throughout the year, performative when they, when they don't have that rainbow flag. <laughs> honestly, honestly, <laughs> what do you do, honestly, I want the receipt. <laughs> what makes you angry, Marie? Um. Oh God, what doesn't make me angry? <laughs> I think that's genuinely like <laughs> I am. I'm just like frustrated most of the time. Um, I don't know, a lot of things, yeah, a lot of things anger me. I'll probably say the, the thing that angers me the most. And just because, I don't know, I just feel like there's genuinely, like, a lack of discussion around it is that 
I don't know, is that I think, I don't know how to word it. Because, okay, this is probably, it's probably going to sound problematic, but I'm going to try say and word it, it in a really nice way. It, okay, it. so like, <laughs> so like basically, obviously in the pandemic, I feel like so many people have talked about safety, the importance of lives, etc. And this is where obviously kind of all the commentary around, I guess what we're saying around like, do you really care comes from is that I find that with the pandemic, because it's something that has affected absolutely everybody, I think a lot of people have centred themselves in those discussions. So they're like, oh, it affects me, it affects how I live, it affects my day to day. But I feel like so many people talk about safety or about like children's safety specifically, but there is there just seems to be like no widespread dialogue about like the growing issue of both county lines and child sex exploitation in the UK. Um, and it's something that I have been like trained in. Um, I'm part of like a kind of like visitor program uh, where I work with a young person in care. And we have like not with my young person, but with the organisation where we have a lot of discussions around county lines around child sexual exploitation. And it just I don't know, I just find it infuriating because I'm like, I feel like there is this massive to me. It's, a, it's an endemic to me. It's a pandemic in this country. But it's, it's strange because I feel like if it's something that we all recognise and something that is kind of like, I guess, shown to us on repeat, we recognise it as a threat or we recognise it as a looming problem. But then on the other side, if it's something that like the media doesn't want to go near because it's kind of like, oh, not a not an exciting topic. Or if it's not something that affects those who have the most privilege in society, then it's something we don't want to approach. And that's why I think that this conversation has kind of gone underlying and kind of, un I don't know, not even like undiagnosed, but kind of un um, unreported for so long um and it's just it's it's like sickeningly worrying there are like hundreds and thousands of children going missing from boroughs like tower hamlets and other Mm. boroughs that have like high levels of uh deprivation of kind of lack of council support and funding and so what we're seeing is a lot of children being drawn into county lines and 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 to kind of explain to you like just in case nobody knows county lines is basically the process um in which there are almost like chapters or distribution lines of um, drugs set up along county lines. So moving out of cities like London, out of cities like Manchester, out of cities like Birmingham and going onto the outskirts to basically set up, I guess, a new kind of, yeah, like I said, distribution line. And it's filtering out not only into the kind of home counties and outskirts, but also into um, like seaside towns, um, the shires, etc. So it's not it's not even a problem that affects like just cities and their outskirts. It's, effect- it's, an, it's an issue that's affecting the whole of the UK. Mm. Um, and I don't know, I think that makes me just really angry because I think if we're talking about safety and we're talking about protecting lives, then we absolutely have to talk about like a growing problem that isn't just affecting children who are, I guess, naturally seen as vulnerable or naturally seen as kind of um, being like lured into gangs etc like it's it's such a kind of endemic problem that there is it's going so out of control that there's actually no way of even now us knowing kind of how how like how how um like young people are being approached like it's just it's such a huge problem so that's something that like infuriates me and I I just don't feel like anyone really is covering apart from Nadine White for I think half post she's done some really good research into it Mm. But yeah, that infuriates me. Yeah, um, it's so frustrating. Like, really infuriates me. I was listening to a podcast yesterday with um, the journalist Dorothy Byrne, and she was saying that even before Brexit, journalists weren't really doing their job in terms of investigating things that you speak of that are really important. Um, and then Brexit happened, COVID happened, and 
now it's like even more so everything's been pushed to one side but all these things are still going on all these things are still happening and it's it's super sad because we're hearing less and less about it mm. um mm. i don't really know what the solution is but it would be great if more journalists mm. did, the, did their job basically yeah. the idea <laughs> absolutely is... and just yeah sorry sorry go, go on no, no, I was, no, please go ahead. I was just going to say government funding. Like, <laughs> that's the main problem is gov- the government is not giving organisations enough money to be able to tackle it, like both in schools and in kind of learning environments. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. It's very true. I was just going to say, the rings that something has to get through to be deemed newsworthy is just so bad. It just mm-hmm. doesn't do anyone any favours mm-hmm. at all. It's awful, isn't it? Yeah. It really is. I think we spoke a lot about, mm. um, you know, when it was Sarah Everard, like, rightly, her her case was so high up in the news and, and everyone was so impacted by it. But we, we've spoken extensively about all the people, all the women of colour that have also gone missing yeah. in similar circumstances. Absolutely. All the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. And no one says anything about it. Yeah. And the fact that to no. groups, like, black women or people like women of colour especially the police being violent doesn't it isn't a surprise it's nothing new it's Mm. not it's not a shock to us absolutely not um no I think that's really important that people know when you know for white women especially like just because you don't experience something doesn't mean it's not affecting other people Mm. but it's just having and it's you you can't really blame them either because where are they going to get this knowledge from Mm. I guess they just have to start listening to to other people Mm. yeah absolutely hard yeah what makes you angry it is hard let me look at my list um what makes me angry um well i feel like it's quite clear that that sort of stuff makes me angry but then like this morning my cat made me so angry again like meowing in in the at like six in the morning and i'm like please stop (laughs) patting I hate oh, that. Oh, no. I hate that I have to exercise to be healthy. I yeah, hate. I hate that. Oh. I hate that. <laughs> yeah. Can I not just, make like, it, make decide it make sense. what I want to, how I want to feel healthy? Can it's feel so healthy? irritating. Um, sorry, I'll just spam for you, but please stay. Oh, okay. That's fine. Generate. <laughs> 64. Oh. When we last totally lost in thought. This is me every three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest. <laughs> When you just said 64, <laughs> I was so lost in thought because I just got reminded of 64 Zulang. That was like my shit when I was young. And I was like, when you, it was especially when you were like 64, 64. I was like, oh, that show was so lit. So just then I was lost in thought. Um, what was that about again? I get lost in thought so often. Um, 64 Zulang. Wait. 64 Zulang, yeah. what was that about? So the promise, right, was... Wait, has it got something to do with someone sleeping? I think so. Oh, Kai's Googling. I'm just Googling because it's... it's... I, don't, I don't even know why there were animals. Like, <laughs> Yeah, okay, I was right, I was right, I was right. So Lucy lives next door to the zoo and every night the zoo animals, That's including Georgina Giraffe and Nelson the Elephant yeah. and monkeys, chuckles and giggles, tell her a story to help her fall asleep. So the sleeping thing, it was right. You're right. That came out in 99. I can't believe you can, like, memorise all of that. That's actually insane. <laughs> Six words alone was the last time I was truly happy, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that whole period of time, TV was elite. TV was so elite. Cool. I'm still, like, I don't know if you remember, because that was CBBC. 
I like I watched a show when I was younger and it's still my favorite show of all time right and I just want I just want a production company to pick up on it and it's called Jeopardy and I'm <gasps> yes. still like it I, was I'm the, the best it was the best I remember this what was it? Tell, yeah. t- tell me about it. It was so good. So imagine, right? And also, I don't think it was for kids. So I don't know how they showed it on the same channel because it was like, it was really scary. So basically, you've got like a whole group of Scottish teenagers who go to Australia on a school trip to like look at an alien abduction site or something. <laughs> and they basically end up being abducted by aliens and then like cloned. And oh they God. like, it's just wild. Like I, I can't even describe it, but like, it blends like time travel, action, thriller, horror. Oh, like it was stuff. just elite. Like it Give was it just incredible. Yeah. All the awards. Yeah. Honestly. Do you remember Goosebumps? <laughs> oh my god, I don't want to remember. Oh Goosebumps. my god. There was one right. That actually was kind of scary. It was so. Oh, it was. It was books were scary as well. But there was one where a kid eats unknowingly eats a sandwich full of worms. Ugh. And I couldn't eat a sandwich oh, for like a year. There's no oh, need. There's no oh, need. Oh, my God. Like, I'm, just, I'm just a baby girl like, trying to get a good night's sleep. Stop scaring me. <laughs> <laughs> Stop doing it. Oh, I mean, I feel like we both get good memories all the time. So. Yeah, all the time. I have, Yesterday, when I had a job interview, I was, like, doing that thing where you're, like, in front of the mirror, like, I used to this job because <laughs> I can do this, 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 and this, and like you know, just mm-hmm. talking about archery stuff, and you're like, oh my god, my housemate like obviously just heard me being really like toxic and annoying. But, um, <gasps> you can't go wrong with a good mirror. That's chat. okay. Yeah, you can't. I used to exactly. do it all the time. I, I obviously was young in this story, but I was really drunk at a house party. I was too young to be drinking, uh, and I had a word with myself in the mirror, and I was like, "You are gonna pass GCSE maths. <laughs> you are gonna do this." <laughs> Just one more Did hurdle. you? Did you do it? Uh, yeah, I passed. I got a C, so wow. yeah, it was, it was a pass then. Yay, okay, well done. Didn't have to look back. Maths is hard. Maths is super hard. Maths is so hard. I actually bought a math CD and <laughs> told the teacher I wasn't going to revise because I was sleeping with the CD playing. <laughs> and she was like, Aww. you fucking what? <laughs> My math teacher, he was so Aww. good at teaching the, the subject, but he was a horrible person. The day before the exam, oh, no, not the day, like in the week before the exam, he printed out Burger King application forms and put them on people's desks and was like if you don't pass the test no. which is the most disgusting the classist vile thing was he joking yeah well I mean in his it was a bit of a joke but he actually meant you know if you don't pass mass you're going to fail and that means you work at Burger King which is awful bloody hell mm. very smart people work at Burger King teachers are just another exactly yeah that's and, for another episode really <laughs> it, it came out that it was shagging the English teacher as well oh, around the same course. time what there's always there's <laughs> always teachers who are having an affair <laughs> I cannot stand it <laughs> literally there always. was so much of that at my school yeah same oh, right okay so we mm. this always happens we get like an 80 and then an 89 but mm. yeah 89 um ooh uh okay alright we'll go for it oh no not that one if it wasn't blue what colour do you think the sky should be where did who wrote this question oh this is a great question I know I know already it would be lilac I would love the sky to be lilac but like like a nice lilac not like too pale because then it would look grey but like Mm. like a deep lilac Mm. that would be my jam yeah. Mm. It'd be nice yeah. to look at the what sky. What about you? 
would, would, it would be so nice. Yeah. But then would that, it would really affect the mm. ocean as well, wouldn't it? Would we have lilac sea? Yeah, but I'm down for that. Oh, yeah. Me too. Splashing oh, that would be waves. banging. Oh. I was going to say gold, but then, like... <laughs> Uh, you'd, well, every day you'd have a panic attack wouldn't you like oh my god you'd be a bit more calm like green or something green sky i don't know yeah that's nice i'm going for a really nice warm orange you know, mm, that I could work yeah, like with. A constant sunset mm, because then we'd yeah. always have them golden hour selfies mm. as well Oh, oh yeah, that's so you fucking out. Okay, well, yeah. I'm always thinking. You calling me a hog? <laughs> <laughs> the buns. Oh, that was nice. I think maybe the scope for a lilac sky. Yeah, I like that. I really do like it. Yeah. Okay, here we go. My orange sky. Fifty nine. I'm loving this. I love the spin. There's a lot of nine. That ending in nines. Fifty nine. Fifty nine. <laughs> no. Oh my We're god. We're spinning. Oh well. Oh. Should we ask it? And if it's shit, we can... What was it? Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll let you know. I'm kind of scared you know. now. Oh, my God. Don't this is scared. such an annoying question. <laughs> if you were a bagel, what type of bagel would you be? Ah! Oh! oh. I don't eat bagels. I hate them. Um, they, I think they're so they wrong. They me up. As a bread structure. <laughs> they're just not right. Yeah, they're not right. I've never... I'm going to be honest. I actually don't even think... Maybe I've had, like, one bagel in, like five years like i'm not even kidding like i don't eat bagels yeah i had three bagels at once once and it's, it wasn't good it's just like a gloopy sugar ring isn't mm. it it's like 10 loaves of bread exactly squashed together and they never go off either which is quite worrying exactly. yeah yeah that's so true they always seem to be good they're to never moldy mm. what kind are you going to say though sorry i cut you off then thing is i feel like i have to fill it up as well because otherwise there'd be too much of the bagel so i feel like i'd have to have like i've really thought too much into this i feel like i'd have to have like five layers mm, like maybe like fine. smoked salmon this is good and like a cream cheese mm. and then maybe like chopped avocado mm. some other i just i just i just add filling on filling i just feel like there'd be a hearty amount three course nah i don't like sweet i don't like sweet really? i don't like mixing sweet with bread i know that sounds weird you know, like Nutella on toast. Like I, I've, I've gone into. I don't know what it is. I think my taste buds have changed, and they just don't like like sweet with anything else. It's really odd. I've got the biggest sweet tooth. I have as well. Oh. I'd do anything for a bit of Nutella mm. right now. Mm. My bagel. I've had one amazing bagel in my life, and I'm glad it was. <laughs> was in it that New chicken York. one? Oh no, but that was good too, wasn't well, it? That was good. Yeah, we shared that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So you've got your answer locked and loaded, <laughs> but um. I had a really good bagel in New York where they were meant to be amazing, so I was happy about it. And it was like a seeded mm. bagel, which I do think elevates <laughs> Ooh, the bagel. Like yeah. There's some seeding going yeah. on there. Yeah. Because then we're on a, you know, we've lifted it. It feels like health a bit, doesn't mm. it? And it was, what are they called? Is mm. it just called a New York bagel? It's got like pastrami, pickles. Gherkin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're my favourite kind of bagel. Cheese. It was that. I liked it. Good. Um, it was amazing. Mm. So tell us more about the, the, the bagel. The well, one. there was that bagel that we got. Someone just gave us it, didn't someone they? Someone gave us a random bagel. And then I also do love the ones they have. Oh, <laughs> do you look so worried? Hey, girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that sus. It was just, um, just a really nice guy. It was our friend. It was a friend of a friend. A friend of a friend. He said, "Here's a. I've got some free bagels. Do you want some?" And I was like, "Yeah, yes, please." please. Um, and it was really nice. It was chicken, wasn't it? Mm. It was good. That had a pickle on it too. Did it? Yeah, mm. I like pickles. Yeah, I like pickles. The the other one I've had that's really good is the um, 
the salt beef ones they do on um on Brick Lane. So oh, nice. The 24-hour, mm. what's it called, Bagel Bake thing. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. I was just thinking about how much. I don't know why I'm now bao buns, but I'd love a bao bun. <laughs> That's not the question. It's oh, not. I do <laughs> really love a bao bun. I'd be a bao bun, I reckon. You are? If I was a bao bun, I'd be a really nice one. Really? What yeah. would you be? No, I just mean, like, <laughs> anyone who ate me would just be, in, <laughs> be satisfied. <laughs> I'd dream of a bao bun. That's so cute. Oh no, I was going to say, I don't know if you heard, but for some reason I heard like, it's not like an actual gunshot gunshot, but I think somebody <laughs> near me like shoots, shoots like, you know, when people do clay pigeon, like oh. I actually don't know how because we're in Sydney, but I just heard like a gunshot. Oh so sorry God. if that like came through. When I record. But it's fine. It's, in town, it's all right. <laughs> sirens on sirens yeah. on sirens. But it's not a real gun, hopefully. <laughs> I hope not. I mean, birds fluttered <laughs> off, so I feel like it was the thing. But I just don't know where they are. And I don't know why they're shooting at yeah, birds. It's so a very weird, weird flex. It's a strange hobby that I don't agree yeah. with, to be honest. Um, yeah, it makes me feel okay, odd. Should we do one more? Okay, yeah. I do think we need to do something to, like, overtake the bagel The bagel one. chat. Yeah. yeah. 99. <laughs> 99. Okay, this is right near the end. Ooh. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's probably. I'm sure you're feeling hope right now after that. Uh, okay, so it was. Oh, I love you, it. Ninety nine. It says if you woke up and you could walk through walls, what's the first thing you'd do? I don't know how to answer that. Oh my god. Oh, you've got an no, answer. No, I've got it. I've got it. I'm planned. Right, I'm telling you. Right, it's gonna. I'm gonna sound mad right now, but I stand by what I say. Right. So, I have had a constant wish that. I could, I know this is like not exactly walking through walls, but it kind of is, that I could just like go and sit down like with a politician and like basically force them to tell the truth or like sit, like not, or like, it sounds really weird, like not even like sit down, but basically I wish I could just go into people's bodies for a minute and then go and basically fuck shit up. Like I would just, (laughs) if I was a queen, I would just go into the queen's body, sit down and be like, I'm abolishing the monarchy. <laughs> and I'll be like, woo, like I'd have done my job. Do you know what I mean? Like I would just be like, we're giving everything back that we've stolen. We're all gonna step down and do actual normal jobs. Like so I feel like if I could walk through walls, I'd just walk straight into Buckingham Palace and go and sit down with the Queen and be like, Can you Your give back the jewels? Done, bitch. Can you go apologise to Megan? <laughs> Can you be honest about Prince Andrew? Like I would just, oh, yeah, no. I'd probably get arrested because it would just be a wall. No, but, but the you know. big thing, if you were doing the in-body thing, they, they wouldn't be able to arrest you so they wouldn't know it was you. So there's, a, there's an element of mystery. That is true. Oh, my God, imagine just being, like, the queen and just <laughs> being, like, fuck off. Yeah. To people. <laughs> Why do you idolise me? <laughs> oh, oh God, I so love good. it. Wow, that's such a good answer. Yeah, yeah it is a good answer. In my own mind, I can't move past the simple fact... I would simply <laughs> get as many people as I could in a room mm. and then I'd walk through the wall into the room and be like, did you all just say that I walked through a wall? <laughs> <laughs> Look what I can do. Hi. I and love I can that. Walk back out. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, that'd be sick. That's so true. But I think you would dampen the mood though because everyone would think they're having like an episode, wouldn't they? <laughs> 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 I would. <laughs> Everyone be like, what? I know you don't know why I've gathered you all here today. <laughs> oh, wow, that's so funny. That's mad. Any, what would you do? <laughs> I don't know, my mind's a bit 
Like, I don't know. I know for a fact, if you found out you could do this, you'd just think, why? <laughs> I don't want to walk for a while. Oh. You're the doll. <laughs> I know, just like, make me invisible, make me read minds, make me time travel. Anything else? Yeah. Anything but walking through a fucking wall. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, well. Or you could even go into shops when they're shut and just <gasps> take the stuff and then walk back out. Oh my god. Oh my god. Like actual horrible shops, like top shop. shops that I'd want to steal from. Ooh. Yeah, just going to Philip Green's house and just like <laughs> take everything. Hey, wow, that's actually a really good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could rob a lot of people. Exactly. <laughs> if you want to. If you want to. <laughs> yeah, not the same. Wow, I love it. Yeah, wow. Or you could like break into. Theft. Break into people's offices and like look at top secret documents. As yeah, well, as well. Oh, you, that is a good shout. That's such a good idea. That you smashed it, smashed yeah. it. That's it. That's the one. Yeah. yeah, you could go. You could go to people's rooms. Like, who would have a conscience and be like, "Do you know what you've done here, Prince Andrew?" <laughs> oh, I'd love it. Love it. Oh, wow. <laughs> well. That was good. I mean, and just, I mean, that the, was listeners, great. the listeners are going to be like, what was 99 that we've skipped Oh, past? yeah. It was, if you could tell your teenage self one thing, what would it be? But mm. I know, that's what we were like. It's like, we've heard this all before, mm-hmm. haven't we? We've definitely spoken mm-hmm. about that a lot. And you'd just tell them, wouldn't you, if going to be all right, to be honest. Oh, you've, got, you've, got, <laughs> you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders when you're a teen I would just be like it's going to be alright just chill out a bit you you're going to have therapy and it's mm. going to be okay it's going to be fine there's exactly. a pandemic on the way but you're going to be alright <laughs> yeah exactly and off yeah. yeah thank you so much for listening everyone we've been Kaya and Amelia and we loved having you back with us um, like if you can share and all that stuff and we'll be back soon thank bye. you very much bye